Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. People who campaign for reforms usually have good intentions and a set of worthy goals— whether they want to boost access to health care, reduce hunger, or do something else like work to cut the impact of climate change. But good intentions are not the same as good results. There are many examples of laws that led to unintended consequences and too often just outright failure. Getting government to work better for all of us. Code for America. Amanda Renteria. We often talk about technology in terms of making things faster, easier. But the first thing we've got to get right is you got to treat people with dignity. We have a chance to truly change the relationship between government and the people it serves. And that's what we use technology for. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Today we get very practical, Jim, and examine the mechanics of government. We go under the hood and examine a nationwide effort to improve how people can access government services. There are millions of people who require assistance with food, income and housing, or even just help filling out their taxes. And we're going to look at ways to help them do those things better. Code for America works with state and federal government agencies specifically to improve their technology and generally to come up with ways to break down some of the barriers and improve how government works. Amanda Renteria is CEO of Code for America. She has a lot of experience in government, including as a former national political director for Hillary Clinton, chief of staff for two Democratic senators, and chief of operations for California's attorney general. She joins us from Oakland, California. Amanda Renteria, welcome to How Do We Fix It? Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Right at the top of the Code for America website, you say that government can and should work for everyone. But in many cases, it's clear that it doesn't deliver services as well as it ought to. So how widespread is the problem that you're tackling? Well, there's no doubt that right now you can see all across the country, uh, government institutions, the, the perception of government institutions is at a pretty low level. And some of that is about politics, but some of, it, of that is about systems. 
and about how governments work. How do you get resources? The reputation of how government does what it does. For us, our focus is really on low-income communities, on folks who have been left out. Um, so we are particularly focused on where government systems don't work and where people really do need it to work, because in many cases, it's the only option. Um, and so we have seen, depending on what program you're talking about, you can see something like 50% of people aren't using programs just because they're not getting to them, even though they're meant to be for communities or for people. We're just not getting there because of the systems we have. Um, so there's no doubt there's a lot of work to do here. What's a good example of one of those programs meant to help people that they just aren't able to navigate or don't know about? Yeah, well, we are in different lines of work. So we're in tax benefits. So when you think about how do you file for taxes, um, particularly how to low-income people file for taxes, um, that's one space we're in. Uh, second space we're in is safety net benefits. That's everything from food assistance to housing vouchers to a lot of the different programs states puts, put together as a package. Um, the third area of work is automatic record clearance. Um, so that's when, for instance, a cannabis law changes, criminal records change. How do we make sure that we can do it automatic such that people don't have to go to a court system, but should it just be automatic? We also work at the very local level um, through our network and volunteer partnerships where we work with cities and counties on different kinds of projects. What's the Code for America project that's received the most attention? The thing that we are probably most known for right now in this time and space is the child tax credit, uh, the mobile app in Spanish and English that was showcased with the White House and the IRS because the IRS didn't have a mobile first friendly application in Spanish and English. And we were able to put that together while the child tax credit policy was being passed. And then we worked to launch it um, in that first year of its, uh, of its introduction. I want to drill down a little bit on this criminal record clearance. Uh, you say on, on the website that one in three people have something on their criminal record that will show up in a routine background check. And in many cases, as like the uh, marijuana convictions that you mentioned, there are mechanisms to clear those from your record, but they're kind of complicated to navigate. How do you help people do this? Yeah. So they're extremely hard to navigate. In fact, uh, nationwide, only 3% go through the process of getting things off of their criminal records. In many states, there's a petition process. You have to petition for it. You have to go before a court. You have to figure out how to essentially figure out how to navigate the court system. Um, usually requires getting a lawyer. And what we have done is we actually worked with DAs uh, in the state of California and now around the country that you can actually build a system that does it automatically. We need these systems to talk. You need to have the kind of policy that allows them to seamlessly work across. And what you what you see pretty quickly is how long a paper-based process takes and what you can do to really free folks from criminal records that shouldn't be on there anymore. Um, and now you've opened up a whole new world, a whole new life for many people who really just didn't know how to navigate a system so they didn't do it, or they couldn't do it, or they didn't have the means to do it. And so we're really trying to close that gap. When you say these systems need to talk, what do you mean? Yeah. So sometimes it's about court data, talking with county data to make sure you can match those up, right? Um, another example, uh, more recent, a uh, very recent example in COVID was when schools shut down across the country. And a lot of schools across the country are trying to figure out how do we get resources to kids? 
Well, the school system might have addresses and database. The social services office might have another one. The state distribution uh, center might have a different one. And what we did is we did some coding across the country with some states. We did data matching in others. We did data cleaning in others in order to be able to, to deliver services digitally um, because kids weren't going to school. These different systems need to talk to one another so that, say, the, 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 the schools know how to reach the parents in a better way. That's right. The problem here, or the complexity here, is it's different depending on the state. Sometimes it's different depending on the school district. And so a big part of what we do at Code for America is we spend quite a bit of time not only understanding the people the system is supposed to serve, but the way the system itself works. Is this partially a problem of neglect that government agencies haven't been given enough money or expertise to work uh, with technology creatively? Well, when you think about government um, and a lot of the services and even programs that were put into place, they were a long time ago, right? They were before everything was mobile first or mobile friendly. And um, it was big buildings, right? And you had to go to this agency for food assistance and that agency uh, for housing and that agency for education uh, resources, Technology, there's a real opportunity with technology where you can simplify that process. And we largely spend time understanding if you got to rewrite it, what would it look like? And how do you start from there and link it back to the system we have today? In business jargon, this would fall under the category of the user experience or the user interface. And there are so many examples where businesses have problems because their customers have trouble navigating their website or however they're supposed to interact with this company. And there are all these consultants and specialists in helping fix these problems. And it strikes me that's kind of what Code for America is doing. You're stepping in to help these agencies do a better job of helping their customers, the citizens, navigate the way into the programs that they offer. Yeah, I'd like to say that we um, we try and create a welcoming front door. It's easy. It's simple. It's welcoming. You know exactly why you're walking in. Once you get in, it makes sense. We often talk about technology in terms of making things faster, easier. But the first thing we've got to get right is you got to treat people with dignity. I mean, the idea that uh, in many social services offices, you have to walk in and the first thing you do is walk through a metal detector and then you get to the service counter and there's a bulletproof glass. I mean, when you think about that versus being able to have something on your phone that says, we're glad you're here, let us help. What can we do? What's your problem, right? We have a chance to truly change the relationship between government and the people it serves. And that's what we use technology for. But to do that, you have to deconstruct an old system that used to work in a way where you required people to come in or it used to work in a way where it was paper-based only. As a middle-class taxpayer and, and a homeowner who's had uh, mortgages, it's been pretty easy for me to make sure that I get the deductions I'm entitled to, the services I need, you are focusing mostly on low-income people, people who've been left out. Why is it so much harder for them than it is for, for people like me to interact with government to get what they need? I think there's multiple pressures 
on making sure systems work for upper class, middle class folks. And I think lower income folks are forgotten. I also think we haven't done the deep research and work to understand and meet them where they are. We're trying to reach people digitally, but if you don't have broadband or good inner access, we lose you too. And so we, we all have to take a step back and say, who are we leaving behind and how do we build the infrastructure to get there? Um, but all along the way, you can see at every single step, now you're online. Is internet access fast enough? Now you're online. Does that question speak your language? You know, just the idea that when you're in a diverse state with multilingual families or first generation families, if you aren't meeting them where they are in language, you lose them. The process is too complicated. Amanda, you have a really interesting background. You grew up in the Central Valley of California, went off to to college and You've worked in local government. You've worked in the Senate. Uh, you've worked on Hillary Clinton's uh, presidential campaign. What drew you to this kind of work initially, and then what brought you to Code for America? Yeah, so uh, my heart is a public servant. That's the kind of work I want to do, and it's changed over the course of my life, um, where at the beginning of it, I thought maybe policy is the right answer. Um, we can build the policy and that'll work, right? And then and then you go, wait a second, we need the kind of politics so that we are winning hearts and minds in order for this to work. Um, and I think I reached a point where I started to wonder whether policy was enough, whether hearts and minds was enough. And I started to look around and look at who is actually changing outcomes. And when you start to think about measuring those outcomes, you immediately go to systems that work and systems that don't work. And when I looked around and looked at organizations that were doing that kind of work, um, it was Code for America. And they'd been at it for a long time. They'd been doing this for 10 years. They recognize participation gaps in food assistance programs. And they figure out a way to make it linked to communities, particularly those who are left out. Get Cal Fresh is actually a name known in a place that I grew up. Um, it's actually one of the 10th lowest income congressional districts in the country. And I'm not sure people knew exactly what I did in terms of policy in the United States Senate, but folks know Get Cal Fresh. What is Get Cal Fresh? That is the food assistance program in California, and Get Cal Fresh is the mobile app that we have that we made that Code for America made. So I th my parents still say, "Oh yeah, yeah, she works for Get Cal Fresh." <laughs> it's not Code for America, but it's Get Cal Fresh because people know it there. You talked about lack of broadband access, many people don't have smartphones. Uh, yeah. Many people are not particularly comfortable with the computer. I volunteer with a charity in New Haven, Connecticut, that drives elderly people to their doctor's appointments, shops for groceries, and, and last year made sure that um, their clients could get COVID vaccines if they wanted them. The system to get COVID vaccines was very complicated, and many of these older folks don't have email addresses. They have no idea how to use an app. How are you helping the elderly and, and people who are really struggling to understand technology? Two different ways. One is by making the system smoother on the back end does actually make it easier for caseworkers who are answering those calls 
to be able to work through their caseload so that they can help folks who might not come in through the online system. That's one way. But the second way, and this has particularly happened uh, during the vaccines uh, in the state of Massachusetts, our network out there recognized pretty quickly um, that in order to actually help folks, particularly aging folks, get to a vaccine site in the state of Massachusetts, we actually had old-fashioned organizing where you can call and you can ask somebody, hey, what is available? And somebody on the other end is sitting in front of the computer with a product we built or tools we built to be able to help someone navigate the system. Um, We recognize that this is a really important aspect to any technology you build today, particularly for government. It's not just about if you build the technology or if you build a nice front door, people are gonna walk through. But what are the toolkits around that? Toolkit doesn't mean technology. It's sometimes a call center. It's sometimes working through community-based organizations that are trusted and know how to reach communities in order to bring them through the front door. If we really want to push government to reach all different people, you've got to make sure to have a lot of welcoming doors because you're exactly right. Not everyone's going to know technology, but how can you use technology even in that case to make it faster and simpler in ways that we don't do it now? I know from experience that building apps and building a good user interface online, it takes a lot of work and a lot of expertise. Your organization is called Code for America. Who does the coding? (laughs) Our fantastic, talented product and tech team. We believe that uh, what we are today and what kind of technology we're providing today can always be improved. Um, And that's part of what we're trying to teach government too. When we had our first conversations with the White House and Treasury, and uh, the question was, okay, so when are you going to be done? And we said, no, 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 no. Like the first stage is piloting. What do you mean by done? Like we're going to pilot. And then once we go into it, we're going to iterate and we're, we're not going to be done. <laughs> it's always going to be an ongoing process. And I think that's some of what we bring to governments is that kind of language and thinking to say, there is no, you know, this is the magic trick. It is now working, but instead it's a partnership and it's an iteration and it's a getting better and better and evolving with time. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. And our guest is Amanda Renteria of Code for America. In a moment, more of our interview. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you were to go back and work in the lawmaking process, what would you tell lawmakers when they're building programs 
What would you tell them that you've learned that they could do better, that they should be building into programs, legislation from the get-go? Yeah, there's so much. I think about this question often because I think about all the things I got wrong when I worked on the Hill for a decade. But I think what I didn't understand then is how much research you should do at the very beginning, how much talking and focus groups you should do at the beginning to really understand what people need and then work from there backwards um, and really think through the implementation of that. If I were to say, uh, what would I do differently? I'd have a, a heck of a lot more trips to the social services office. I'd have a heck of a lot more trips to go see what it's like to get a criminal record cleared, go into the courtroom, ask what you need to do, walk the walk, right? In business, it used to say you, you'd follow the receipt all the way through, right? You'd follow the order all the way through. I think it, it help us to truly walk in other people's shoes to understand the kinds of policies we need today. You work not only with federal government agencies, but also with states as well. One interesting example of the work that you're doing is in Minnesota. Tell us more. We have built in, in partnerships, sitting side by side, our engineers, our technologists sitting side by side with uh, government teams, built an all-in-one application for nine different safety net benefits to be completed in less than 14 minutes. And what are some of those benefits that you're, you're helping people with? Food assistance, housing, uh, energy tax credits, um, it's sometimes a lot of states have their own cash assistance programs, their own nutrition assistance programs. And so in the state of Minnesota, there were nine safety, social safety net benefits and completed in less than 14 minutes. And for the first time ever, uh, they were able to actually integrate their systems to reach sovereign tribal nation members as well. And so one of the really important things that we're seeing is that when you start to remove barriers you also are able to find that the new systems you have um, allow you to reach other, other communities. You can actually start the tech or the outreach that brings in uh, new voices as well that Minnesota wasn't able to reach before in the same way. Warren Buffett once said, it's only when the tide goes out that you see who's been swimming naked. And in kind of the same vein, you recently noted that uh, COVID, the COVID crisis exposed cracks in how our government services are delivered. What were some of the unsettling revelations that we got through the COVID experience? So a couple of things. One is, I think we all saw how close people are to needing food assistance. Just that alone was, I think, a revelation. We could see it in the numbers, right? We can see who's getting food assistance. In fact, we could see the moment when COVID started. We saw spikes before some of our state governments that we worked with saw them coming. But the second thing is, for a long time, for the last 10 years, we've been telling governments or showing what was possible that you could do delivery of benefits digitally. And some of it would be like, yeah, yeah, it's a nice to have, but oh, I really need to do it. And what COVID did is not just show that you can do it, but um, how efficient, effective, and the opportunity to reach new people that you couldn't do it by old systems. And so it's really opened up not just a new way of doing work, but a conversation about how can we do this differently? And that, that piece has been um, really just a remarkable partnerships with states that are out there. 
When it comes to improving delivery of government services, do you think that the biggest improvements can be made by technology? I think, I think it is incumbent on us, this generation, our generation, where technology has transformed everything for it to take on government systems in the way that it's taken on so many other industries. When you look at the world ahead, the uncertainty ahead of climate change, the uncertainty now that we know of a pandemic, you need to have updated systems that can move, that can be flexible, that can evolve. I think this is a competitive advantage. It is a moral imperative to make sure that when the next pandemic happens, we are ready for it um, or whatever is coming at us. Um, so I really do believe that we should all, political leaders, but all of us involved in technology and government, that now is the time to do this for a host of reasons that are coming at us. You've spent your career in public service. What's the biggest thing you've learned or your biggest surprise since joining Code for America? I think part of my biggest surprise is I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and I think that's the reality of policymakers or you're in politics. Um, how often do you look behind the curtain and say, wait, how does that system work? And uh, so <laughs> some of the questions and conversations today about what, how would you have done it differently knowing what you know now? Gosh, I feel like I have been exposed to an entirely new world and in such a way that I would develop policy entirely different now. It really has surfaced the need to look at something from the beginning of the policy all the way did it actually get to outcomes and why or why not. Talk about your passion for this work. Um, why do you believe so profoundly in, in what you're doing and helping people have a better relationship with government? Because I think for some communities, the only shot you have is for systems to catch you and make sure you have opportunities uh, in America. So when we say that um, America is, you know, the where any anyone can do anything, no matter where you start, I want that to be true. And I come from a community where I didn't always feel that way. And over the course of my career, I've realized that it, you do have to tackle it in different ways. And when it comes to what Code for America is doing, I'm not sure I see anyone else in that space to say, how do we actually use systems to reach people that haven't been reached? Um, and that's why I'm passionate about it, because I feel like I know those kids. I feel like I know those families who get left out. And the moment it's in the system and you get left out, it's really, really hard to change that. And so we've got a moment right now when things are resetting to change systems that will reach people who would have never been reached before or just been lost. And so I think about our work in that way, which is uh, if we're not making it work, who's gonna drive that work to ensure that that kid, that family also has access to the American dream like everyone else? You say you came from a community where the American dream wasn't 
open to people to access in some cases. But just speak just a little bit more yeah. about that before you go. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my parents were farm workers and we grew up in a low income area that you just often feel left out. I think the work that we're doing is we're bringing people back into the fold of believing in government, believing in democracy, believing that in America, you really can grow up anywhere and achieve whatever dream you desire. Thank you very much. All right. Amanda Renteria, CEO of Code for America. Next up, our recommendation. Richard, you have a recommendation today that I think a lot of our listeners are going to relate to. Yeah, this is a playful one. Puzzles and games. I'm I'm looking forward to our uh, annual July 4th get-together with, with dear friends. We've been doing this for a number of years now. And among the highlights are a night of gestures, which is a game of split-second charades where everybody gets a chance to make a fool of themselves. It's a lot of fun. And then something else has happened in the past few days, Jim, I've started doing Wordle, which is this uh, five-letter oh, puzzle game. And it doesn't take very long, but it goes down well with your first morning cup of coffee. And Jim, you're a fan of something else from the New York Times, which is Spelling Bee. Yeah, Spelling Bee is a great daily puzzle where they give you seven letters uh, in a little grid with one letter in the middle. And you have to make as many words as you can with the letters, but the catch is you have to use that middle letter. So it takes a little longer, usually about 20 or uh, minutes or so uh, to get up to what they call the genius level. Although if you're really obsessed, you keep going until you've you've found every single possible word with these letters. It's harder than it sounds. I'm sure you're at the genius level, Jim. Uh, well, my wife and I will not. <laughs> it's like we usually refuse to stop until we get to the genius level. Not, 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 I'm not sure those those words designate anything you know inherent in one's psychological makeup, but it's certainly nice when you get that little ding, you're a genius. <laughs> Great. Okay, conversation about our interview with Amanda Renteria. And as the resident lefty on the podcast, I want to make a, a conservative point to start with. And that is uh, the announcement uh, from the Biden administration in, in the past week or so. They're going to move to end Title 42, which were very controversial immigration health restrictions uh, put in place by the Trump administration. At first, when I heard this, I thought that's a great idea. But then um, it's a case of where the government may actually cause a lot of suffering by doing something that sounds enlightened because immigration officials are now warning there could be a surge of people at the southern border, an even greater surge than there has been recently, and there simply aren't enough judges. There aren't enough immigration officials to process these people. And if you're going to deliver services humanely, the answer is not to overwhelm the system completely. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a great example, Richard, of, of how policies that sound on the surface like they might be humane or well-intentioned can actually do enormous damage. 2.5 million 
uh, undocumented or illegal immigrants have, have come over the border. Many say they're seeking asylum, but of course, the vast majority aren't really eligible for asylum and won't get it if they ever show up for their hearings. Fortunately, most of the kinds of issues that Amanda's talking about aren't quite as dire as this one. They're more cases where government has a program that has a, a legitimate goal, such as housing assistance, and it's just hard for people to access that, that service. I, I love this idea that wherever you are on the political spectrum, you should at least want government to work. And if you're going to set up a program for people, let's make sure they don't have to spend all day and shuttle around to three different offices, you know, trying to uh, to make that program work. So I, I really applaud this direction. And and I think it's uh, we should see more of it. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at myself, Jim, because I'm finding it really hard to push back and disagree with you. <laughs> what are we going to do? Our listeners are going to be so disappointed. <laughs> it's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.